Ballet Arizona presents The Nutcracker. Dancing sweets, mischievous mice, and falling snow are all accompanied by Tchaikovsky's glittering score, live with the Phoenix Symphony. Celebrate the wonder of the season December 9th through 24th at Symphony Hall. Tickets at balletaz.org. dance friends and welcome to the dance edit podcast i'm editor and producer margaret fuhrer and i'm here today with another interview episode this one in partnership with the talent agency mcdonald selznick associates our guest this week is tony basil an icon of not just the dance industry but the whole entertainment industry partly because she's worked in just about every corner of it over the past almost 60 years Most people know Basil as the singer of the 1982 hit song, Mickey, as in, oh, Mickey, you're so fine, you're so fine, you blow my mind, hey, Mickey, and that will now be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Sorry, not sorry. But the full scope of her career is pretty staggering, and it started very early. She comes from a family of performers. Her mother was in vaudeville, her father was an orchestra leader. In the 1960s, Basil appeared in just about every film that involved dancing, and she worked as a dancer and choreographer on an array of variety television programs during that same era, including The Tammy Show, which you'll hear her talk about as the place where she first encountered the life-changing dancing of James Brown. She was one of the original members of The Lockers, the crew that helped bring street dance into the mainstream in the 1970s. She has made dance for some of the biggest music stars in the industry, including Tina Turner, David Bowie, David Byrne, and Bette Midler. And she's choreographed some of the movie world's most memorable dance moments over the past several decades, from that great opening credit sequence in My Best Friend's Wedding, to Legally Blonde's Bend and Snap, to the deliciously retro moves of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Basil is now 79, very unconvincing 79. She is still not only dancing every day, but also performing and putting out new music and judging international street dance competitions. The ostensible reason that we're talking with her at this particular moment is that she's about to receive the Palm Desert Choreography Festival's prestigious Lifetime Achievement Award. But, you know, one never really needs an excuse to talk with Tony. She is perpetually doing something interesting. Here she is. I am both honored and excited to be here now with the great Tony Basil. Tony, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, well, thank you for the uh, nice intro, Margaret. I'm always pleased to talk about dance. I don't have to worry about, is the floor going to be slippery? Did I bring the right shoes? (laughs) Uh, What's going to happen with the orchestration? Somebody going to step on a chord? You know, I love nothing more I like to do more than dance and choreograph than to talk about it. Talking about it is much less complicated logistically. Yes, Yes, (laughs) dance is my drug, my drug of choice. I was just chuckling to myself because you're about to receive this Lifetime Achievement Award at the Palm Desert Choreography Festival, but your career has been so full and rich and varied. It seems like the work of multiple lifetimes. Like, could they give you more more than one award, you know? Thank you. Well, I just, you know, received the Halls Award, which is the mm-hmm. Heroes and Legends. And wow, that's a Motown, mainly a Motown Award. Of course, 
I didn't record for Motown, but man, wow. I mean, yeah. Stevie Wonder showed up. I mean, there were it was songwriters, songwriters, songwriters. They must be so rich, you know, <laughs> in comparison to us dancers, you know. Um, but it was really, it was really wonderful, really wonderful. Uh huh. You posted some great photos from that on your Instagram. We'll, we'll have to link to this. Um, I actually, I wanted to start by going back to the beginning of your life because. Very few people know sort of the full extent of your resume. And it seems like in many ways, your early days growing up with vaudeville, with vaudeville stage shows sort of laid the foundation for like the diversity of your future professional life. Absolutely. I came in armed and dangerous because it was like every weekend I would stand on the side of the stage in the wings at the Chicago Theater from 1940. 748 to 1957 and then we moved to vegas where my dad was the orchestra leader at the sahara hotel where i went there every weekend also i have seen every act live since that time period and you know the the chicago theater was stage shows and i don't know if your young audience knows what the stage shows were but they were you had three live acts and a movie Three live acts in a movie. My father did four to seven shows a day. No day off, no day off, one month off a year. How did that experience shape the way that you thought about what show business was? I just thought it was everything because I saw an opening act, which was the juggler or the, or the dance team or, you know, the tap dancer. Then the second act was always a comic and the third act was always a singer was the star, whether it was Judy Garland or Josephine Baker. I actually saw that show at the Chicago theater or whether it was Mel Torme or whether it was, you know, the crew cuts. I mean, I saw everything and I loved it. I loved it. And I knew it was special. Mm. It wasn't like I took it for granted because my mom and I used to walk down the alley of the Chicago theater And there were all these autograph seekers, you know, standing outside the stage door. And they used to have to part like Moses and let us through. And that stage door would open. And I knew that was special because my mom and I could go in, but they couldn't. Man, I would head straight for the wings. And I would just stand in the wings and watch those shows. And also, you know, there was a movie in between the live shows. So I I saw all the great American musicals. It was incredible, and I knew it. I'm so grateful. I knew it. It was one big rehearsal. Everything was a big pre-production. <laughs> I love pre-production. <laughs> well, so then let's talk about the beginning of the show then, after the after that, that big rehearsal. Your early days in Hollywood, I mean, you were everywhere. You were a dancer on Shindig. You were the literal girl with the red dress in Viva Las Vegas, not to mention the assistant choreographer for that film. You did Robin in the Seven Hoods. I mean, the list kind of just goes on and on. I wanted to talk actually specifically about the Tammy show because Mm -hmm. you said that watching James Brown dance on that show changed the way you moved. Yeah, it did. Because if you go to my YouTube channel, Tony Basil's House, and you see the early uh, 60s, movies that I danced in and was the assistant choreographer to the great David Winters. He and I would merge in the early days, jazz dancing, kind of West Side Story jazz dancing, 
and go-go. And what was special about it was there was about 20 of us that worked throughout the 60s and only 20 dancers in L.A. because we needed to be young enough to love go-go, but we needed to have studied dance. And so we just fit in this slot that worked. And we did so much stuff. But when I saw James Brown on the Tammy show dance, wow, I thought, I better go back to the drawing board. I thought I was a fabulous, fabulous go-go dancer. But I really realized I was dancing on the wrong side of town. I was dancing on Sunset Strip. I was doing dance contests on the Sunset Strip. I would do ballet class at 11.30 in the morning. I would go to acting class at 7, and I would hit the dance contests at, you know, like 11 or 12, uh, midnight. But it was uptown. It was such an eye-opener for me. And you see that all of a sudden I'm trying to do James Brown steps, trying to do a slide split, I mean, you know, I'm putting on a little jazz, but you, you can just see my dancing changed. I want to talk about the fact that this is a facet of your career that not enough people know about is your work with the lockers, with Don Campbell, Lock Campbell and the lockers and how you were some of the artists who really helped bring street dance into the mainstream in the 70s. What was so revolutionary about that group and about what you were doing? Well, as I said, I was up on Sunset Strip. Uh, in those dance contests, and I uh, was on the wrong part of town. So it was the end of the 60s, and there was no dance contest. But I was just chomping at the bit because I always knew there's always something going on. So I called a girlfriend, and I said, find me the best kid on your, I think it was either, it wasn't Hollywood a go-go, because I think that was finished. It, I can't remember which, which TV show it was that still had, you know, kids dancing on it. I said, find me the best dancer because I, I just, I need to catch up. And she found me this guy named Lamont Peterson. And Lamont, he taught me the bump because the bump was very popular at the time. And the dance called The Runaway, which turned into freezes and poses, which turned into whacking. Mm -hmm. He was one of the first guys. And he said, you know, there's a guy named Don Campbell and he's doing this dance called The Campbell Lock. And uh, one day at the Oscos, Don flew in the side door with two other people dressed in striped socks and knickers. And I thought, well, this is the best thing I've seen since James Brown. It was the most unique and it was spectacular. Later on, about a year later, I got a call from the Dick Clark Production Company because I had worked for Dick. Look, I had been doing you know, stuff through the, through the 60s. And they said, remember this guy, Don Campbell, that you were talking about, that you showed us a video of? I said, yes. He said, Is, are there more of them? I said, well, yeah, there are people that, you know, lock. And they said, can you get that together for the Roberta Flack special? Because she's crossing over. We can't get Alvin Ailey's company because we've got a union problem. Are oh, your geez. guys in the union? I said, no, they're not in the union. They said, great. And uh, that was the beginning of the lockers. That is wild that it was an alternate for Alvin Ailey. Oh, my goodness. What a, what a story. So yeah. one of the genius things that you did with the lockers was to connect street dance directly to concert dance. And mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. to ballet specifically, that version of the little swans dance that you did, was it for SNL mm -hmm. the first time? 
it was for SNL the first time. We were on, uh, the lockers were on the second SNL. Penny Marshall and Rob Reiner were the hosts. And uh, then the next time I did, I had talked about to Lauren about a film idea that I had, which was merging. And, you know, you plant, I'm telling you, you plant seeds, you plant seeds. And all of a sudden you get a call from Lauren. Hey, remember that idea? We do films now on Saturday Night Live. Would you be interested? I went, yeah. <laughs> so that was that first Swan Lake. And then the second Swan Lake that I was nominated for an Emmy for was uh, on the Smothers Brothers, Smothers which Brothers, was in the right. late 80s. Yeah. Um, and that's when I merged uh, with the with the four little swans, boogaloo, popping, and locking. And we inspired all these street dancers and street dance to come. Oh, my God. We can earn a living at our craft. So, yes, we inspired a lot of people. And, of course, I think even though Soul Train was happening and blowing everyone out of the water seeing Soul Train, um, I think the thing is, is that it was putting a group together with that kind of music and presenting it like the opening acts that I saw at the Chicago theater, like my mother's act was, which was vaudevillian. And it was an opening act. It was an opening act. And we opened up for Sinatra eventually at Carnegie Hall. Oh, geez. Why do you think that kind of cross-pollination, melding those different worlds is important? Well, for us, for me at the time, it was important because I thought, you know what? Now we've established that street dance is a viable American art form. But have we really established that it is up to concert dance? Are, we, are they still considering it out there, street kids, street something crazy? Mm-hmm. And I knew if I, if I choreographed something to classical music with classical dancers, and that, that the street style could hold up next to it and be a perfect fusion. I knew that would be the next step of changing the perception of street. And it was. It absolutely was. It's a pretty incredible group of ballet dancers that you had, too. Was it Stephanie Saland was part of that group? That was Yeah, the yeah. Brothers? The, uh, on the Smothers Brothers. And Anne-Marie D'Angelo. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I'm sorry to change tacks here a little bit, but I want to make sure that we talk about the work that you've done choreographing for, I mean, major stars. You've Major stars. And I, I, I'm so grateful once again to be choreographing for major stars because everyone I've worked for, oh, man, I have learned so much. You, you don't come out of working with David Bowie without mucho knowledge that you 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 didn't go in with and and with Bette Midler and with Tina Turner and all three of them are radically different radically different they prepare differently very 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 interesting you know working for different artists for me working with an artist as a singer as opposed to an artist as a dancer you don't give them what you do you give them back what they do. You look at what they can do and you make that bigger and better. How about when you were working with David Byrne? Because you were actually on the cover of Dance Magazine back in 1988, on point with David Byrne. Yes. Well, that yeah, that was a whole nother approach. 
um, he approached things more like a performance artist mm-hmm. because he came out of, you know, art school. So um, and I understood that he's not a dancer, but he approached it um, as an actor, mm-hmm. as an actor, but performance artist, you know, with uh, wonderful, wonderful ideas, just incredible ideas. We did a lot of research for um, once in a lifetime and we sat and watched a lot of films over at UCLA that were all um, movement, but not dancers, preachers and trances, all sorts of anything you could think of that was movement, but not dance. And then, you know, ideas flow. Yeah. You find ways to give him himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you, of course, also had your own music career, which is the way most non-dance folks at least probably know about you through your song, Mickey. I'm sure you get somebody yelling, oh, Mickey, you're so fine at you every day. What did you learn from working on that side of show business? Well, once again, I was flying by the seat of my pants because through word of mouth, you know, I got a deal through a, a European company. And in Europe, they were promoting music through video. This was 1979. 1980 MTV didn't happen until the September of 1981 Mm -hmm. so I was making videos for this company and songs before there was MTV but I don't know it was so easy for me I know that sounds crazy I shot Mickey and half of time after time in one day wow I had you know I was also a, a filmmaker in the 60s. My boyfriend bought me a Beaulieu, and we hung out with a lot of underground filmmakers. He was actually a very famous actor, Dean Stockwell. But we hung out with a lot of the underground filmmakers of the time and performance artists. So I was into making films. I made a lot of films in the 60s. So I understood film. And I had done so much television mm-hmm. in the 60s that making video just do the storyboard and, you know, shoot the storyboard. And uh, I still have the storyboards to Mickey and a lot of my and a lot of my videos. And I tell you, the storyboard to Mickey looks exactly like the like the video. And you still have the costume, too, right? I have it. I have everything I hoard. I hoard. (laughs) I have every costume that survived that didn't fall apart from all of my shows, all of my videos, and my BBC specials. That's so cool. So you, that's that's fascinating that you saw essentially your music career was as much a video project as a music project, and what perfect yeah. timing for that to be happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was nobody was really interested in video in America. I didn't have an American deal. I had a European deal. I didn't get an American deal till my first BBC special became very big, and Mickey became. Number two, I think, within six weeks from that special airing on the BBC. And then all of a sudden I had an American record deal. And it was by then 1982 and there was MTV. Just perfect timing. So I was really lucky. I was really lucky that the timing happened and that my videos, which I made in 1980, held up in 1982. All right. Sorry, I'm jumping all over the place here, but your career just goes everywhere. So I want to talk about film work now because you've been choreographing for Hollywood for half a dozen decades from Viva Las Vegas to Legally Blonde and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
How have you seen the film industries change and how have you seen the film industry's approach to dance change over that time? There's no rehearsal. Now? There's absolutely no rehearsal. When I did, I think the first film I did was Bye Bye Birdie. We rehearsed. We rehearsed on a soundstage. Uh, they did camera blocking. Even, even on the beach films that David Winters and I did, um, we rehearsed. There's no rehearsal. Uh, for, for Legally Blonde, the bend and snap, mm-hmm. I had her for a half a day. You had Reese for half a day or you had Jennifer? Yep, I had Reese for a half a day. I had Reese for a half a day. She ran in, learned, and, and the second Legally Blonde I did, I taught her the choreography uh, at a lunch break. At a lunch break. Oh, gosh. It's just incredible. And, and, and trust me, if it was a, a movie about golf, they'd be training the actor for six weeks of how to mm-hmm. play golf. Mm-hmm. But somehow they just think dance, I don't know, is automatic. Uh, it's the strangest thing. Was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, was that experience a little bit different? No. No. Never no. mind. It was, <laughs> I was not different. What was different about it was that I was working with the greatest actors, the greatest director of all time. Plus, it took place in the 60s. So that was like an acid trip for me. And I just kept saying, am I here? I thought, wow, I would pay them to do this film. I loved working with Quentin Tarantino so much. I just, I loved everybody so much because the quality of the actors and how they worked and their work ethic was phenomenal, was absolutely phenomenal. I did a lot of workshops at my studio here. I work with Margot Robbie. She would come over and we taught her every every dance step from the 60s known to man so that she could improvise at any given time and not, you know, do some contemporary dance. I, I did a lot of workshopping here at my little studio in my house. Thank God I had it uh, because things change around. Things moved around, you know, with as far as Quentin goes, things changed. I mean, we were her stuff that didn't happen and then all of a sudden I was in the midst of the Playboy Mansion and he said Tony let's have the bunnies dance (laughs) yeah let Tony let's have the bunnies dance I thought the bunnies and I knew I just told the producer you better you better hire some bunnies that can dance and I because I just foresaw something like that happening but you know they don't want to put out the bucks um, and I understand. So the bunnies were all gorgeous. And we just, I, we pulled four bunnies because I said, Quentin, how long do I have? He said, 20 minutes. I said, okay. And I saw what the shot was and that the shot was really from waist up. And I thought, okay, so it's got to be the jerk. Everything's got to be upper body that says that screams sixties. And I, cho- I choreographed to the weakest link because she needed to be able to do it. And then the most advanced bunny, uh, I had her count as 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 they were shooting. She would she would like you know counted like a like um like a like a mime, you know, just kind of <laughs> talking like under her breath. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, talking under her breath, and we got it done. And it's Clinton loves that section. He loves it. He loves it. He talks about loving it. <laughs> and I loved it. I loved the fact that he said, "Hey, I've got an idea. Can you?" And I went, "Yep." 
because we, you know, I come from so much improvisation anyway with street. Street is all about improvisation, really. I mean, that's how all those dances develop. You know, a lot of people of of the younger generation know you from your work as a judge and say you think you can dance. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Which I, that's personally one of my favorite modes of Tony Basil, just because you were really the perfect judge for that show as somebody who speaks all of these dance languages fluently, because the show is all about dancers who are trying to speak, you know, 15 different dance languages and maybe yeah. are only fluent in two. Can you talk a little bit about about that experience, about judging on that show? Oh, I loved it. Oh, my God, I love doing it so much. I'm so grateful to Nigel for asking me to do it, really. And I think he had to fight for me. You know, I just I I used to replace people. Yeah, because I'm you know, I'm not the current at the time. I think, you know, they were also having TV stars judge sometimes like Ellen DeGeneres hopping in and out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I understand. I understand. He's got to deal with, you know, the guys in the suits upstairs. Yeah. One of the great things that you did on that show was you would give little history lessons as you were uh-huh. judging. You would sort of I... say, and this is why that's important. Uh-huh. Who, who do you think uh-huh. are some of the most overlooked artists from dance history? People that few dancers today know about, but everybody should. Well, now everybody. Now, now the kids don't know about anybody. I mean, that they don't even know about Gwen Burden. I mean, it's just, it is, to me, it just blows me away. Do they know about Nureyev? Do they know about Brezhnikov? Do they know about the Nicholas brothers? Do, do, you know, they don't know about anybody. I mean, maybe they get it in, in, in college when, the, you know, some of the college that teach a lot of dance. But I, I don't know. They don't know about anybody. Dance History 101 with Tony. What's on your syllabus? Who are you teaching? Hello, Jack Cole. Yep. And, you know, historically, Gwen was Jack's assistant. And then when Gwen left Jack to marry Bob Fosse, uh, Bob's tap dancing kind of was so influenced by Gwen, who came from Cole, who also had her own style. And Jack's choreography became darker. He did some things with Cheetah that were very like dark. Whereas when he worked with Danny Kay, with Gwen and Marilyn, mm-hmm. um, it was all like very female and light, but the choreography was staggering. And Gwen used to teach all those girls. And then she left and his choreo- choreography did change. And Bob's also changed. Gwen, 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 Gwen and Cheetah, you know? How about Anne? Margaret? Anne Ranking. Well, Anne Margaret, too. Anne (laughs) Ranking. Anne Ranking. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, you know, Gwen came first. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, Gwen came first. Anne was, you know, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful technical dancer. You know, I had lunch with Anne because I almost went into Chicago. I almost Mm -hmm. went into that show several times. I was ready. I knew the whole choreography. I knew everything. (laughs) And I said, you know, in one of the numbers, it's like, was he locking? And she said, oh, my God, Bob used to, when you guys were on television, he used to call people and said they're on television. Well, at lunch, I, I burst into tears because at the time we were flying by the seat of our pants. I mean, if, 
But to know that Bob Fosse was calling people to watch us, (laughs) you know, it was, it was, it was incredible. Wow. What a story. So one of the reasons that you've been, as, as you've said before, you've been on the cutting edge through multiple decades. And one of the reasons is that you have a great eye and a great sense of the zeitgeist. So I'm wondering what dancers and choreographers you have your eye on today, like who of the rising generation gets it? Well, um, before the pandemic, I used to go, I always go to class and I see people and a lot of them have not, not, some of the young dancers have no clue who I am because they don't expect to see me in class. And I will like get their phone number and they have no idea why I'm getting their phone number. And I swear to God, eventually I use them. My three assistants that I used on uh, bet shows and with Tina, I got them. I got their numbers all from seeing them in class. And how about choreographers? We uh, when we were talking earlier. You mentioned Justin Peck. Oh, Justin Peck. As far as Broadway goes, I love, love, love him. I mean, I did watch an interview of his or heard an interview of his where he said he took tap as a kid, and I went, Yeah, you see. That's why he has so much attention to rhythm and the beat because ballet choreographers, they move through the measure because, you know, you don't have a bass and a drum beating out boom, boom, boom. You know, you, you have violins, whereas Justin, he's got that concept. And I don't know. I mean, I love, I love all the choreographers. I think they all do an, a magnificent job. You know, a lot of the stuff now looks the same. Like on the music awards, you go, wow, it looks like the same act one after the other after the other. But, you know, it's the acts that they want this, you know, and the choreographers kind of have to do their own thing and contribute what they can contribute. But there there's a lot of requests of what the act is looking for or what the management is looking for. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's the man or what the record company is looking for has nothing to do with the artist. Yeah, it does feel like there are more and more like fingers in the stew these days. Oh, yeah. Are there musical performers today that you feel are really shaping what they're doing as dancers as well? Well, Beyonce. Yeah, Beyonce. Beyonce, Beyonce, (laughs) for sure. For sure. I mean, uh, Derek Hough, phenomenal. Mm -hmm. You know, he creates his own stuff. Derek is phenomenal, too. So there, there certainly are. All right. I'm sorry. I'm realizing we're coming to the the end of our time now. So I'm going to end with a huge question that I think you're sort of uniquely qualified to answer. Uh Uh-oh. What do you think makes an artist great? Their uniqueness, their uniqueness, their uniqueness, and their work ethic, their work ethic. Everyone I know that, that I feel that I've worked with that's great has the God-given talent but their work ethic is phenomenal. You just can't, you can't get there without the work. Mm-hmm. Tony, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast today, for sharing all of this history and knowledge and insight. It's been, it's really been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. As I said, dance is my drug and uh, nothing I like to do more than dance is to talk about it.
A big thanks again to Tony. She will receive the Palm Desert Choreography Festival's Lifetime Achievement Award this Saturday, November 12th at the McCallum Theatre in California. And in the show notes, we've included a link with more information about that. We also have links to Tony's very active and very informative YouTube channel, to her website, and to her Instagram account so that you can keep up with everything she's working on, including some upcoming music releases that sound very exciting. And thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a headline rundown episode, recapping all the top dance news stories. Until then, keep learning, keep advocating, and keep dancing. 